0: Hello, and welcome to episode 354 of the Thinking Poker podcast. From Melrose, Massachusetts, I'm Nate Mavis, and with me today is Nobody. I'm working alone today. It's a solo episode. I'm going to tell you about my intellectual history with games. The last time I did a solo episode, I drew at least one comparison to Rush Limbaugh. As with the comparisons we get to NPR, I really don't know how to interpret that but here you go, you get one more of me. And unlike Rush Limbaugh, I'm here to do more solo work. So, what's the goal of today's episode? Uh, Today's episode is to describe my intellectual history as described by games, as it manifests itself in four games that I have been, in different ways, obsessed with in different areas of my life. First was Bridge, when I was young. Second was Quiz Bowl as a high schooler and early in my college career. Third, of course, is a long fascination with poker. And fourth was a brief but fairly intense interest in the game of Hearthstone. So I'm going to talk about all of those, talk about the lessons that they teach. Hopefully this has something to do with how you learn from and about games generally. Uh, and I also hope it says something about what the comparative advantages of these games are. I think it's uh, often interesting to think about things in terms of their unique characteristics uh, that they have and other things in their category do not have. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I should say it's very difficult to decide any of this. Uh, I'm about halfway through volume six of Knausgaard's My Struggle right now. Very long memoir. If I finish it, and I expect to, it it will be the longest single reading project of my life by most measures. And one point that he makes nicely is that any kind of memoir or or self-reflective work is inherently distorted. Um, At the time, an event is what it is, but its meaning only becomes clear is only determined later in your life but the meaning of a thing is not just some interpretive layer you put on top of it it's it's part of the events itself so the thing itself is is never even fully metaphysically determined at the time um, only later do you find out what it was so you can say how things seem to you at the time and you can try to do it forgetting everything that happened after that in your life it's going to be very hard to do probably impossible Uh, but even if you could do it you wouldn't be describing all of the thing itself so here i am trying to tell you about what games taught me and what i would have been like had these games not taught me these things that's going to be a hard thing to do i'll give it my best as a brief aside uh, if you hear somebody telling you what they thought of Knausgaard's, My Struggle, um, I think they're probably lying. Um, I've just decided that nobody's actually read the whole thing. People say like, oh, there's this series of books, My Struggle, and uh, you know, isn't it interesting that X, Y, or Z happens? And I think it's interesting that most of those examples tend to be drawn from the first couple books of the series. So, for example, in book six, there's an extended argument to the effect that a lot of modern parenting slash educational culture as it manifests itself in northern Europe, um, which is, I think, has broad points of connection to the one I experience uh, here in the Boston area. Knausgaard has an extended argument that that has a lot to do with, in fact, Nazi culture, that in fact, um, what's going on there is in some way an expression of uh, a kind of success of the Nazi intellectual project or or the Nazi historical project. Um, Now, I'm not at all, at all, at all endorsing that view, at all, Um, but that's a pretty bold take. And I find it interesting how rarely that one appears on lists of bold takes that uh, That you find in Knausgaard The conclusion I draw from this is that nobody or almost nobody has actually read book six and I mean I'm in this group right now. I'm only halfway through 55% true if you trust the little indicator in the bottom right of my Kindle but that's the end of my aside Um, more generally Of the long books I read, I find that when I go back and read the reviews after the fact, a lot of the examples are drawn from early parts of the book. I'm starting to have a very cynical interpretation of that fact. Um, And this sort of cynical or, or very skeptical attitude toward expertise, well, I think I learned a lot of that from games, but not so much from Bridge. That's the first one I'm going to talk about. Bridge was the first game I was ever really deeply obsessed with, I think. I was also really into Scrabble around this time, and a lot of what I say now can also be applied to Scrabble. But in late elementary and early middle school, I was really into Bridge. It's very hard to think about Bridge now without realizing that it, like Seven Card Stud, is a regrettably dying game. It will soon be like whist, from which it is derived, um, a game that some people know how to play. But I, I don't imagine there will be many more bridge clubs than whist clubs in the world, or at least in the United States. in In some decades' time, that's a sad fact, and it's very hard to think about bridge without thinking about that sad fact. But I'll try to. So bridge taught me a few things. Um, I think the most important effect it had on me is it was my first, in some sense, large scale experience with intellectual failure. Um, I made a lot of mistakes and I definitely encountered, say, math problems I didn't know how to solve. But as an elementary schooler, at least with the sort of intellectual life I had, it was not anything like like getting things wrong in school or getting things wrong on my homework or reading books about new things and being surprised about what they told me was just nothing like the experience of being wrong over and over and over and over, and over about what to do about a bridge play. Uh, so I would try to read the bridge column in the paper. For, for you younger listeners, Major newspapers used to have bridge columns. Really. just There would just be a bridge puzzle or a bridge situation. It would just be part of the daily newspaper. It was a cultural institution. I swear it's true. These things actually existed. Okay. But I would find the bridge column almost difficult to read and just to understand the reasoning, much less like I would almost never produce the correct answer along with the reasoning. I found it difficult even to get a sense of why the question was being asked. I remember going to the library, I think I've told this story on the show before, and checking out a long book on opening bids. And just the idea that there could be such a long book on opening bids, that was eye-opening to me. But then I would read the contents of it, and it would be so hard. And like never mind that in my intellectual state I didn't really have a sense of how to train myself, how to, how to rigorously get better at something. You know, I, I was just reading a lot of my experience with bridge was passive more on that later, but, um, I wouldn't have described it this way to myself at the time, but my experience with bridge was just an intellectual failure. Just, just so much failing over and over and over again. That was really valuable to me. Also, the intellectual depth of it, having some sense or or, or feeling in full force, or at least in partial force, how much more there was to know about bridge. Like, I would read books about math and science, or I would see things on television, and I, I knew that there were a lot of baseball players I'd never seen. I knew there were a lot of statistics I would never know about baseball. I knew that physics was a thing and that I didn't know it. But the idea that something as, like, small as Bridge, a game like that, could have an enormous intellectual history, I wouldn't have used the phrase intellectual history at the time, but, you know, that there could be a hundreds of pages long book about opening bids, that there could be such a team as the Four Aces that was innovative and bold, and the you other know, could be cultural variations in these things. And by the way, you know, the recent revelations about the Four Aces, that was really something to me. And uh, it's amazing seeing, you know, the certain kinds of idols of one's childhood crumble one after another. That was one for me. End of footnote. Getting acquainted with that kind of intellectual depth, however incompletely. And again, I wouldn't have described it to myself that way. But um, whereas so many other things I was interacting with were either obviously huge, like say baseball, or were intended not to intimidate, like say my math textbooks at school, or even a lot of the math books I was reading otherwise. Um, That was really, you know, eye opening to me. I think that was the most important or one of the very most important effects that Bridge had on my life. Another thing I learned from Bridge, really relevant to poker, is that you have to get people to play with you. You can't just like a game in the abstract. You have to actually get people to play with you. And let me tell you, in 1991, in suburban Michigan, you know, as a sort of not extremely practically creative boy, that was a really hard thing to do. Basically, I had to wait for my grandparents to visit, and then there would be five people who knew Bridge in the household. And... Um, on any given night, I had some chance. Not a very good, you know, like, like, uh, yeah, a good chance, a good chance. My parents and grandparents were super generous to me uh, in this regard of getting four of them together to play bridge. But, you know, most of the time it was me playing all four hands or just reading about it. Um, there was this thing called auto bridge I had that I never quite got the hang of, but that was a way to drill bridge and also to see how many wrong answers I got. Or my mother would play with me sometimes and we would each take two of the hands. But the point is, um, yeah, you have to get people to play with you. That was something I learned from Bridge. A very, very important lesson. And I think it was, made me more uh, receptive to the idea in poker that you can't just study poker and then wake up with money in your bank account. Like there's a step in the middle and You have to get people to play with you and the game that there is to play might not be the one that you like the best now all that said i made a lot of big mistakes in my poker career studying games where the money wasn't there Uh, but at least i had some sense that um i had to go get the money that there was that middle step Uh, and i would have been i think much worse prepared for that had i not had these early experiences with bridge So that's about it for bridge. And that's a good thing for me because I won't have to go back 25 years or more in memory to think about these other things. Uh, But I do want to say one more thing about bridge, which gets us into our ad segment, which is that these days I am a computer programmer. And really what I'm doing is running a small software consultancy. And one thing I, I know very well now, and that i think in some sense traces back to my experience with bridge in the late 90s is that you have to work with the code that's there Um, working with legacy code and porting systems over and working with existing systems um, i find it sort of soothing and comforting to come in and use whatever tools are there in a for a given client on a different on a given job Um, there are a lot of people who do good work and are really focused on using the absolute best tools or even with designing tools that they think are by some standard the best that could exist. And that's great. A lot of good progress comes from those people and their work, but I'm very happy in the messy reality of existing code, a lot of which is with old tools or uh, is there for legacy reasons or whatever. So if you have something ugly or messy or you need help, uh, maybe I or my team can help you, www.natemavis.com. And in about a week or so, when the new business website is up, www.blackhound.io. So um, yeah, programming computers, it's very fun. By the way, if you're really good at programming computers uh, and you're looking for some work, Also write to me, nate at blackhound.io. Turns out a lot of people need computer work done these days and the business is expanding a bit. So hooray for that. On to Quiz Bowl. Uh, In high school and the first half of my undergrad years, I was about as big a Quiz Bowl geek as one could imagine a person being. And um. So the game, for those who don't know it, is, well, there are a lot of different formats of this. Um, One thing I learned is sort of how to be in a world that was sort of a constellation of uh, loosely affiliated, sometimes warring factions and, you know, companies. companies, formats, styles, regional differences, national differences, all these things. Um, There was no single quiz bowl. There were many different formats and kinds, but the basic idea of it um, or the basic format of it or meta format was that there were questions uh, that were written in English prose and where the answer was supposed to be revealed gradually over the length of the question Uh, but you could try to answer it at any time. And these questions were delivered verbally, so you really couldn't jump around in the paragraph or or several paragraphs and try to find the most relevant information. Uh, It was revealed to you bit by bit. But it wasn't just a list of clues. It was in English. And really, for all the time I spent trying to win at Quiz Bowl, the thing that really affected me is all the time I spent trying to think about the questions and trying to write my own questions myself. I spent all those hours and hours and hours and hours writing questions. Um, And yes, of course, I'm aware that there are other formats where things work differently. And there were also quote unquote bonus questions where there was not the element of competitively trying to ring in first. Uh, But It had an enormous impact on me trying to take apart sentences and put them back together in order to reveal information in a certain way. Um, It was really effective training at writing English prose. It was really effective training in thinking about English. Then there was also the sort of adversarial side of this, where as a player you were always thinking about what might be coming next. Were there syntactic clues that would um, help you understand where the question was going. Um, and there was also the like meta level um, process of trying to figure out what the most canonical answers were that fit with the information you had so far. So there was this like sort of Bayesian calculation where a priori the answer was more likely to be X than Y. So you should interpret everything you were hearing with that in mind. You know, whether that's a good or bad or, or, worthwhile way to spend one's time. That's not the subject of this podcast. Uh, the subject of this podcast is what it did to me and what it might do to you and, and what one learns from games. And especially given that a lot of the time I was studying Quiz Bowl, I was also um, like doing things like taking poetry writing seminars. I just spent an incredible amount of time thinking about how English sentences come together, how information is conveyed in English in real time also the relationship between spoken and written English. I think that's the main uh, effect that Quiz Bowl had on me. I think that makes me laugh too, uh, after all these years when I was so concerned with like the game at the time and trying to win or lose. Um, Looking back, I remember rather little about the games I won or lost. And I remember a lot about the hours and hours I spent trying to write questions. So that's that. Um, And that was QuizBull. Which brings us to poker. I more or less quit QuizBull when I discovered poker. I discovered poker in a serious way in the spring of 2002, right, sorry, excuse me, 2003, right before Chris Moneymaker changed the world uh, by winning the main event in the summer, or I guess early spring, late spring of 2003. Of course, rounders and ESPN and other things are a big part of the poker boom story. But um, yeah, huge, huge, long love affair with poker, of course. Um, But what did it teach me? Like, what are poker's comparative advantages? Um, Well, there's a lot that I learned from poker that maybe I could have learned somewhere else, but I did in fact learn from poker. Um, thinking in terms of expected value relentlessly, uh, was a big one for me. Although I should say, I forgot this about bridge. I have this vivid memory way, way back in the day of hearing an argument, reading an argument that you should bid more aggressively when vulnerable because although the uh the penalty for being set if you are vulnerable is higher the rewards for winning the second game and therefore the rubber in ordinary rubber bridge of course um are even higher than that and for some you know fixed probability of of making the contract in a wide variety of circumstances you should bid more aggressively uh when vulnerable than when not vulnerable I would love to tell you uh, that this immediately, you know, caused me to understand expected value much better, that the next time I watched baseball, I I understood that you shouldn't bunt so much, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It really didn't do that for me. I was very much a traditionalist. I just swallowed, received wisdom whole uh, much more and longer than I should have probably. But I think that means that this early, or that this early dent in that particular armor was all the more valuable, all the more valuable. Also an early lesson in the ways that um, language can mislead us. I think it was just the fact that the state was called being vulnerable, having won one game of a rubber, you were called vulnerable. Um, I think that was part of what made it so surprising to discover that you should be more aggressive and be more inclined to take a risk in certain circumstances, but many circumstances, when you are vulnerable. Of course, poker is even much fuller of calculations like this. And, you know, people can learn this anywhere. People do learn this anywhere. But for me, it was poker that taught me to be um, relentlessly uh, objective about this. Not that objective EV calculations are everything, but um, boy, it was poker that um, <laughs> gave me the discipline to apply this much more widely than than before. Um, this relates to the second thing that I think poker is really, really good at, which is integrating together a lot of cognitive skills. Um, between psychology and game selection and the math side of things and the self-control thing side of things, the discipline side of things. Um, I know that people in a lot of activities say this, but for me, even compared to other things I know a lot about, uh, poker is special and especially it's special compared to other games uh, in demanding a real diversity of intellectual skills, um, and even skills beyond the intellectual. Um, And I think that's one thing that's really cool about poker, is that people with different suites of intellectual skills can succeed in different ways. Probably that's less and less true as the game gets more mature. So like, for example, the, the grinder type who's really good at game selection Uh, maybe aspects of their game are are not great, but they do a lot of the meta side of things and the self-control side of things, well, probably that person is much less successful than they would have been 10 years ago. But still, um, I think poker is special like that. And not even on the macro level, but even on the micro level, the way that you have to integrate um, meta-rational and psychological and arithmetical and other kinds of technical knowledge in the same hand, whether that's a sort of heuristic extrapolation from something you learned from a solver, plus an exact pot odds calculation, plus some sort of psychological read you have on an opponent in the situation, plus a more general empirical fact you think you've picked up about the player pool at large plus some sort of meta-rational corrections based on your own self-knowledge. I think it is not at all unusual to use all five of those kinds of information in a single decision. And poker, I think, is special like that. There are not a lot of activities, and certainly not a lot of games, where you are so frequently bringing together not just big quantities of information, but a diversity of kinds of information. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things that I learned from poker and that I take away from poker. Uh, Of course, poker has, like, touched my life much more broadly. Um, My relationship with Andrew is, by some measures, the longest working relationship of my life. Like, I I, I started a business with him, right? Um, This... This podcast is in part um, a production of NickCast Ventures, LLC. Uh, So Andrew is, among other things, my longtime business partner. And so that's something um, that I got from poker that I have not gotten in certain ways, you know, to to the same degree elsewhere. Um, Interesting and valuable. The way that poker as a game and poker as an industry interacted, that was something that Um, I really experienced it vividly in a lot of ways. I've had lots of little jobs in poker. I've seen people drift around the poker world in many capacities other than poker player. Um, And the way that poker is an industry and also a game and the way that those things are connected, um, that's something that I learned from poker. There are two more things about poker that really stick with me. One is thinking about the quantity of the intellectual advancement in poker, I visualize an exponential pattern in what we know about poker. And what I want to say here is that almost everything we know about poker has been learned in the time that I've been studying it. And That's quite amazing to me, like thinking about me in 2004, say, and if I somehow knew everything there was to know about poker as we knew it then. Yeah, I I would know a lot. Maybe I'd know some things that even very good players today won't know. But we know so much more than we used to. And the idea that I've witnessed by some measure in some way Uh, almost the entire intellectual history of something that I really love. Uh, That is cool to me. Closely relatedly, um, maybe some of our listeners don't remember this, but one of the big debates in poker used to be old school versus new school, online player versus offline player, uh, math player versus field player, new school versus old school. And those were different distinctions, but they lined up pretty well. And one thing that I really take away from that is that in so many ways, one of the sides of those was right. And it wasn't the same side in every case, but um, oftentimes when there are different sort of warring factions in something, there's a temptation to say that, uh, you know, the truth is somewhere in between. Um, But I think looking back, I, I was... I would have been tempted to be much more conciliatory than would have been accurate, I think. Um, and a lot of the sort of old school, you know, all, all this online online stuff is just mumbo jumbo. There are all these things to know about live poker that online will never teach you, et cetera. Um, there are some senses in which that was right, but mostly it was just wrong, <laughs> and, or, or at least a lot of it was. This makes me think about again, software, like software is where I live these days. It's my current obsession. I run a software company. I program dozens and dozens and dozens of hours every month, even every week. Um, And that's also changing very quickly. Not not as quickly, maybe as poker was shifting, but yeah, I think I, like a lot of people, I have an impulse to, to synthesis or to um, trying to take a scoop out of a, a lot of different pots and mix it all together. And it's useful to remember that maybe some traditional way of doing things you know just is wrong. Um, another thing that connects poker and software for me is that the way to learn something can change as the field matures There are a lot of ways to study with solvers now and to think about poker as, you know, trying to uh, chart out a solution space, crawl around it, learn parts of it, find heuristics for thinking about it in real time, and so on. And and these were just not, in some sense, not possible ways, or at least not very feasible ways of thinking about poker 15 years ago. Uh, They certainly wouldn't have been the best ways to study poker when the best solvers now didn't even exist then. Uh, So how does this relate to software? Well, software is also like much, much bigger. You can, in my mind, the purely intellectual advancement in poker has some very, very rough analog in the technological advancement in computers, and different ways of thinking about systems are relevant now. And even about individual programs. So um, I think that a lot of software learning materials uh, suffer in this regard. They they place the learner in front of a sort of a blank slate and then you type one command and you see what happens. And the implicit goal is to know everything that's going on in a program. Maybe you weren't supposed to know the internals of the language, but the idea of Of learning something, of learning some programming language or or system, is to, in some sense, have a complete knowledge of it. Now, I love having complete knowledge of things. It's it's something I feel deeply. I was a math major. I love math. I hate knowing that there's a fundamental layer underneath something that I can't understand. Uh, Indeed, I showed up to grad school thinking I was going to do something contemporary and wound up getting a PhD on platonic metaphysics uh, because uh, I I, I couldn't deal with the idea. One reason was that I couldn't deal with the idea of there being um, some more fundamental aspect of things that I hadn't understood yet before I started studying the thing itself. Uh, But, you know, in software, more and more of the things that... uh, Workaday programmer uses these days are just huge. They're huge systems. Things like navigating code when you'll never know the whole code base, uh, things like using tools to monitor tons and tons of servers, um, reasoning about huge things. It's a different way of thinking about computing, maybe not intrinsically, but sometimes intrinsically and certainly practically. Um, one thing i was reading recently is like text editors there are famous text editors that were written by one person and are very small like impressively small code bases um and those are wonderful beautiful achievements it's it's inspiring etc um but you know the the honest among them of the sort of pioneers of computing you know they say that it was in some sense easier for them. They they sort of knew all the programs on their computer and they could even read most of the code of them. And and now that's just not possible. That's not how computers work. That's not how we interact with software. Um, the software that we use is a not lot more advanced and you know just text input, just that subject with, you know, emoji and internationalization, you know, left to right, right to left, everything. It's a huge, huge subject. You know, single people don't write text editors anymore. Um, And so when we think about what we're trying to do with computers, um, it's just completely different. Um, Poker prepared me for that, I think. You know, it's uh, studying poker by just thinking about a lot of hand histories. You know, in some sense, this is a critique of the Thinking Poker podcast, because a lot of how we think about poker is just like, let's just do one hand history after another. And a lot of the best poker thinkers do not do that anymore, uh, in part because there are things like solvers, you know, visualizations, um, all sorts of like aggregated analyses that, that are possible now, all sorts of, you know, books to read, etc. Um, there are ways to study the game now, uh, that there weren't before. Um, and I think that's useful, you know, not just software. I think I take that into a lot of other things in life, um. It's amazing to me. I remember reading so many forum posts about how there weren't any books about no limit hold'em. There was that chapter in Super System. There were bits here and there, but the idea that you could want to read a book about no limit hold'em, this you know explosively popular game, and, and there just weren't any. Like that's amazing, just amazing to me. Um, you know what I should have taken away from that is that. My project of learning about poker from reading books was the wrong way to go about it. Most of the best players I know didn't learn that way, um, but I liked books too much to, to to draw that lesson, perhaps, unfortunately for me in my poker career. But um, yeah, yeah. The, the idea that the right way to learn something is heavily dependent on certain structural features of a field and that those features can change even in f- relatively small Um, chunks of your career. That is something that I use every day. It's very, it's an idea that's very present to my mind. Um, As an aside, I think there are going to be some young programmers who are just going to be like so, so good. I hope to learn a lot from them. And unlike poker in a lot of ways, you know, programming is a lot less of a zero-sum thing. So hopefully, you know, they can just make me better and I can hopefully teach them one or two things and, and that'll be that. But yeah, those are some of the things I take away from poker. The idea of watching intellectual progress of, of fields really, really changing, of synthesizing information, you know, that's, that's what I take poker to be. And again, just this relentless focus on, on expected value and thinking rigorously about things and even trying to quantify things that are not fully quantifiable. I think that's important. Um, yeah, boy. There's a, there's a COVID angle here, right, where, you know, the people who were, who kept their eye on the ball about modeling and didn't, neither fell into the trap of answering precisely the questions that could be answered very precisely, but weren't the right ones to be asking on the one hand, and also avoided the trap on the other hand of not trying to quantitatively, um, attack problems that were a little bit fuzzy, but still needed some quantitative treatment. You know, the people who kept a quantitative focus on things, but did not just take the way out of, of looking at things that had precise, the most precise quantitative answers. Those were the people who were the most right about COVID, who have been the most right about COVID and who are the most right about a lot of things. Um, yeah, that's that, that kind of discipline to the extent I have it, and I have a long way to go. That's something that I learned about poker, and I think poker is really, really good at that. Finally, Hearthstone. Um, yeah, this one's fun. I don't have as much to say about it um, because I spent sort of less time doing it. But um, For those who don't know, Hearthstone is an online collectible card game clearly inspired in a lot of ways by magic the gathering um so here's the two things that i think about when i think about hearthstone and what it taught me um the first is like order the idea is that in a lot of turns where very good players separate themselves from mediocre ones is getting the order right and often this is a matter of weak domination there will you'll know that uh, there will be several things you'll want to do on a turn, other things equal, but there will be random effects or you will learn something about the state as some of those happened. And it won't always be obvious what order to do them in, or it will be obvious what order to do them in, but the discipline of actually doing them in that order will be a hard thing to keep up turn after turn. Um, so, you know, like draw a card first and then you know, if you get some perfect card to do something else, then you change your plan and do that other thing. Even if it only happens one out of 23 times, you know, those small edges add up a lot. So, you know, nail the order every single time, if you can, or have the discipline to do that. The funny thing is this comes up all the time, like cooking and parenting. Um, There'll be all these things when I'm trying to do seven things to get ready to go out with my kid. And, there will often be this aspect of weak domination it's like oh you know use the bathroom last because then it'll be you know that much longer before the next time somebody needs to use the bathroom um what else it just happens all 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 the time you know you're trying to prepare five things like well salt the eggs first yeah i was just making an omelet this morning and I was making another dish with the meal. You know, crack the eggs, put the eggs in the bowl, then salt the eggs. Just let them salt a little bit longer. Eggs taste a lot, lot better if they bathe in salt for a while. You know, I was gonna do that and four other things, and it tasted just a little bit better because I put that at the beginning. And just generally with parenting, it happens all the time, um, especially if there's some like 5% chance after you do something that that will throw the rest of your plans out of whack. It's often better to move that thing to the beginning. Um, yeah, it comes up all the time. As a result, I, I frequently remember Hearthstone streamers saying, ah, nail the order every time. And uh, yeah, that's uh, uh, amusingly enough, it's become a parenting motto for me. The other thing was you know, something about learning for myself, like I did as they say hit legend a couple times once even before they changed the laddering system and that's not a huge achievement really um but it did require some you know a lot of improvement from me and it's um it was interesting to me what win rates were possible like you had forums full of people excuse me insisting that certain kinds of win rates were not possible then you had streamers achieving those win rates on stream Uh, And, you know, just having the discipline to collect statistics on my play and to look at recordings of streams and pause before and after uh, plays to see where the experts plays would have differed from my own. Um, Those were the best learning uh, avenues available to me. Um, And as with poker, I learned a lot about myself in terms like as a games player in terms of how easy it was to take the easy way out, to to lose discipline, to not think about the order, etc. And I also, you know, partly because of poker, I had an easy time completely ignoring over ninety nine percent of what what is written publicly about about Hearthstone. And also to improve, I um, yeah I mentioned aggregating statistics, but you know, making sure I was playing the right deck for the situation. Yeah, you can. You know, part of the game is deck building. Um, and when when you're uh sort of piloting running a a specific deck you hit matchups against other decks and collecting statistics on those to to make sure that i was playing the right deck and to see where i could focus like my matchups so i would collect win-loss data and also sort of how many mistakes I thought I was making or or how well I thought I was playing. And then when I aggregated those, I knew sort of where to focus my study. And, you know, my subjective knowledge of the quality of my own play, it wasn't great, but it was a necessary input to that kind of analysis. Uh, Again, this gets back to not avoiding quantification of something just because the thing itself is intrinsically not very well quantifiable, or at least Um, practically not very well quantifiable by me. There probably is some perfectly objective sense in which, you know, I was playing better or worse, but um, that data was not available to me. Uh, You know, just doing that kind of analysis, it's like, okay, I need to get better against this paladin matchup. I need to improve here. I need to improve there. Here's how I can do it. You know, study this, study that. Um, You know, that actually getting myself to improve, um, you know, it's, I wasn't, deeply into it for long and it's been a long time since i've thought seriously about the game at all and i plan never to play it again but um you know it was a a certain kind of self-improvement exercise or or you know it in whether or not it improved you know my my character or, or overall ability to live that's a different thing i just mean strategically and um when i think about my meta-algorithm for improving at things, uh, I find myself thinking about, about Hearthstone a bit because I did clearly improve at that. And um, these things about collecting data that's a little bit fuzzy, studying in a certain way, and um, finding the best information in a world that's full of a lot of different kinds of it and where a lot of that is not very good, those are things that I really got from Hearthstone. Um, for those who don't know the culture of Hearthstone, it's important to note that it's like a pretty casual culture and a lot of people who play it do not play it seriously. And a lot of the information that's out there is not very good, not really intended for serious players. So um, yeah, that's Hearthstone. So those are like really the four four games I've taken most seriously in my life. Bridge, Quiz Bowl, Poker, Hearthstone, um, And that's where they've left me intellectually. There's a lot more to say about that. Um, But I've said enough for one episode. And if you have software needs that a little software consultancy can help you with, nate at blackhound, B-L-A-C-K-H-O-U-N-D dot I-O. I hope you've enjoyed this and I hope you all have a great week. Take care.